So now we are coming to the last panel of the day, the collective wisdom of all the analysts. Um, it was a long day, and it will end up with a great panel. And I think we have all been working very hard for our drink that will be served in about 40 minutes from now. So Clay Maitland, a great patron and uh, patron and mentor, and he's going to guide us through the analyst panel. Thank you. I hope this panel is good because, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to, and by the way, happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Could we get uh, Amit and Grandy and Fotis and Ben and Michael up here so we can get started on this, uh, on, the, on the last panel of the day, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's leaving, or maybe they just want to sit in the back. It wasn't my idea to do this at the end of the day, but, uh, you know, so don't blame me. I'm sure it isn't because... Oh, hey, sir. How are you? You're back, you're back again? Yeah, good to see you. I thought we got rid of you. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. I want you guys to carry this. I expect okay. you to do the sure. talking. You know, I, well, you know, you know, well, that's what they say. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name is Clay Maitland. Uh, I'm with uh, the Marshall Islands Chip Registry. Uh, the, this panel is, uh, as you can see, a panel made up entirely of panelists, uh, some of whom we've already heard from today. Amit, Randy, Fotis, Ben, and Mike. Uh, and uh, it's a little bit like uh, when we were, some of us at least, were in high school, and people gave out, got prizes for being, you know, most congenial, you know, most <laughs> sociable. Uh, in this case, it's going to be most bearish, most bullish, uh, most correct. We always hope everybody will be most correct. So I'm going to start off by going down, and I'm going to ask some questions. Bob Burke in the last panel, by the way, said something which is kind of relevant to what we're going to be doing today. Now, he said, disruption is good. Sort of like greed is good. You know, disruption may be good for some people, but not for others. Depends on what business you're in. But in the work that you do, I'm going to ask you folks, starting with Amit, what do you like? There are maybe six sectors in our industry. There are probably a lot more. but. We can talk about the ones that we all know and love, dry bulk, containers, LNG, LPG, product carriers, and liquid bulk. Uh, we won't talk about offshore, okay? Please don't talk about that. Don't, <laughs> it's like that old thing, don't mention the war. Do not mention offshore. Um, what are your top two picks in these terms of sectors? I mean, what do you think is good? What do you think is bad? What are you avoiding? What are you telling yeah. your clients? Sure. Well, thanks a lot, Clay. I appreciate the question. Um, so uh, we cover all the verticals in, in maritime shipping, obviously, just like all my peers do here. Uh, I guess from our standpoint, we like to be um, a little bit more contrarian. We think, um, you know, um, liking sectors when everybody else hates them uh, ultimately leads to outperformance over a cycle. And so um, that's partly based on the fact that, um, you know, we look at, when we analyze companies within specific verticals, we also look at uh, balance sheets relative to market value of assets. 
how a company is positioned in terms of being able to deploy capital at different places in the market. So certainly um, the dry bulk market is in a better place today. I think in January of 2006, um, uh, 2017 is when we upgraded the dry bulk industry and certainly that, that call has worked out. And we continue to like the dry bulk market, but as I think as we evolve now into maybe looking at the you know back half of 18 into 2019, um, we do like the outlook for the tanker industry, partly because VLCC rates today are $3,000 a day. We find that companies are, that are not well capitalized to endure that will be forced to. And in fact, many companies in the space are actually very well capitalized to actually turn that um, negative market environment into an opportunity for acquisitions like you saw Euronav, for example, and their recent, uh, recent deal. So I think um, from our standpoint, we are getting much more positive on tankers. We have been for the last few months, and we think there's, um, you know, the weakness is sowing the seeds to a recovery over the next year or two. Okay. Uh, I mean, quick follow-up, what don't you like? What's not to like? You know, from, from my standpoint, I, I, um, I'll be very company-specific in this way because I think that, uh, you know, rates in some ways, I'm agnostic to rates when I think about what, re what to recommend from a, from a company standpoint. I'm, I don't like companies that have um, stretched balance sheets that have to, um, uh, you know, in any given environment, not prepared to endure a weak market. And so for me, I'm, um, you know, I don't like companies that have uh, loan-to-value ratios that are higher than 70% at any given point in the cycle, um, and, and certainly during the weak point in the cycle, because I think they're the most at risk of equity offerings and, and uh, declines in, in equity value. Thanks very much. Uh, ben, do you agree with everything that uh, Amit has just said? Well, he's the smartest guy in the room, so I'd be an idiot not to. Um, <laughs> See? Yeah, I, uh, I, I will say on the, um, on, on the bear case, well, first of all, we're shipping analysts, so it's, we're never bearish. But um, the, uh, I, I agree. I think increasingly, at least in my view, the, the, the equity markets are getting a little bit more grown up and people care a little bit more about things like balance sheets and corporate governance than they used to. And I don't think that's going to change. I think it's been a tough lesson for a lot of people to learn. And, uh, and even in a better market environment, if you can't, if, you, if, ship, if, if ship managers, if, if the management teams of companies and the boards of directors of these companies can't show prudence, and with respect to their capital structure, they're not going to get the same premium just because they happen to own the right ships. Um, so I think that's pretty important. Uh, on the things that I like, uh, you know, I, I, dry bulk's okay. I, I, I think uh, I like probably it's small, but I probably like the LPG market the best at the moment. I, I think it's uh, kind of well-poised for a bit of a little, a little bit of a recovery here. It's uh, very, you play that very safe. Uh, <laughs> it's not like you. Uh, Randy, do you agree with what these two gentlemen have just said? Uh, for the most part, I like the dry bulk sector a lot. Moderated the panel this morning and like it even more now. Um, but uh, for me, it's probably more so on the refined products tanker sector. Uh, that's mm -hmm. probably my top sector pick. Keeping score. Sure. OECD uh, inventories are now back below the five-year average. You have refinery expansion of at least... 800,000 to a million barrels a day, both this year and next. IMO 2020, that's a demand driver for them. For everyone else, it's kind of a supply benefit, but I think that increases some demand routes. And then on the supply side for the refined products, it's 
maybe two and a half, three percent at most this year, and probably less than that next year. So that's probably my top sector choice. Second would be LNG, just with the liquefaction capacity of eight to nine percent this year next, versus a fleet growth of six or seven percent. So you have some outpacing there of demand, demand over supply. Okay. Uh, let's see, uh, Michael. Yes. What are your views? The good, the bad, and the ugly. What do you, what do you, what do you like the best? I would, uh, I would generally agree with Amit around the uh, buy low, sell high. This is, group, this is group think, by the way. I'm already worried. Yeah, like I, I would generally. Randy's opinion on SGN. That would be nice. Did you have a meeting outside to get your story together? Is it? Controversial. <laughs> I would say. I agree with certainly with what Ben's saying around corporate governance and, and the lack of a premium developing for, for companies and management teams that don't prioritize capital stewardship. I guess the one thing I would disagree with would be around the tanker trade. It seems like there's been a an effort or some momentum to start the year that we could kind of globally grow our way out of overcapacity um, by the end of the year, and it would warrant a bid into tanker equities early. It, it seems starting to come on the other side of that trade and it's getting a little frothy. Um, I don't think asset values in the tanker space are going to roll over anytime soon. If anything, just the, the, the inflationary pressure uh, placed on assets by steel tariffs and, um, and the like should at a minimum kind of keep VLCC values where they are. You know, the idea, it's, it's tough for me to see us getting more constructive around the idea of global growth in 2018 than we already are which makes me think that tanker investments right now are just a little bit early. Um, and beyond that, what I like, I, you know, I like LNG. Golar is my favorite name. Uh, Every, everybody likes LNG, you know. Golar and Gaslog Partners. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the LNG names are a little overextended. Some of them are trading at 1.7, 1.8x. Yeah, that's um, right. So some of them have some more ground to give up than others. But, uh, yeah. What do you say? Are you comfortable with what, what you're hearing? I think the, the great thing is that uh, having uh, five analysts here is that you can have uh, at least f six or seven uh, different sectors that they might like. And uh, if you had more analysts, probably they would even uh, direct you to other sectors outside of shipping. Uh, I mean, the, the, the answer to your question is always uh, contingent to what kind of horizon do you have, what kind of risk you want to take. Uh, Personally, I think depends on uh, if you are looking for six-month returns, probably, yes, you can play still the dry bulk market. But uh, if you are looking for much higher returns, you need to, to focus on, as Amit said, on sectors that they do not make money right now, but uh, they can uh, switch uh, their fortunes uh, within the next uh, uh, 12 to 24 months, like the, the, the tanker market. So it can uh, switch from uh, unprofitable to profitable. And uh, if you want long-term returns, uh, as uh, Michael said, you can look at sectors that uh, they grow very fast, like the, the LNG sector, which uh, has very high growth rates. And if you believe that there's going to be a new wave of uh, liquefaction capacity, uh, even if this comes in uh, 2023, 2024, we can have a new wave of demand for uh, LNG carriers. So I would go to either with the tankers uh, with a horizon beyond 2018, 
uh, or LPG as well. Uh, it's uh, pretty much the same story of US uh, uh, NGL production and uh, US uh, exports, and they can turn completely from uh, losing a lot of money the last uh, couple of years, from making a lot of money the following uh, two, three years. 2018 is already gone uh, for most of the investors. Or if you want to have a much longer term horizon, I think that the LNG market in uh, overall, it's uh, very interesting. The key, however, when you pick individual companies is cost of capital. The industry is not an industry which uh, uh, it gives money to everyone uh, like it was happening between uh, 2005 to 2008. You need to have a really significant uh, cost of capital uh, advantage. If you are safe bulkers and you borrow at LIBOR plus uh, 150 or 200 basis points, you have a significant advantage compared to an average company that might be borrowing uh, at uh, LIBOR and uh, 450 basis points. I'm not sure Amit does. Do you agree with what he just said about cost of capital? I mean, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things, um, not just from the cost of capital, it's also when you put that capital to work. Uh, I mean, when you look at the cost structure of a shipping company, um, you know, two of the three main pillars of costs are directly correlated to when you buy the asset not just the cost, obviously the cost of the, the yeah. financing, yeah. but also the, um, you know, the amortization of the debt and the debt tied to that acquisition price. And so for me, um, you know, companies, I mean, uh, companies that create the most value over time or maybe companies that don't destroy the most value over time <laughs> are the ones that, um, you know, uh, acquire assets when it's unpopular to do so and have the balance sheet and the relationships in the market to deploy that capital. And I'll give you a couple examples, uh, both with actually the same company in Euronav in 2013 and then in 2014 purchasing the Maersk VLCC fleet and then more recently with the Generate. That is exactly the type of capital deployment that creates value over time. And the company, and, and they are, the interesting thing in shipping is capital tends to be available in large quantities at exactly the wrong time. So the moment that, you know, there's a significant amount of IPOs or things like that, I mean, you can look at the Clarkson data going back on IPOs from 2010, 11, 12, 13. I mean, it was just like, it was like silly. And so I would argue that in certain segments where capital is most scarce is where you want to look in the secondary market or even the primary market for, for acquisitions because that's where you want to be over the next year or two, or even longer, frankly. Now, sorry, last point for me is, is that as someone that's been somewhat bearish on everything that's related to shipping from a corporate governance standpoint, um, I will say that there is an opportunity for shipping to be a structurally better business or industry over the next decade. And that reflects two things. One is um, an increased level of equity uh, that's required uh, by the banks, by, by investors, and also um, structurally barriers to entry with respect to regulations, not just related to sulfur, but its emissions down after that. So I'm somewhat optimistic, uh, cautiously, that the, 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 the added equity in the capital structures can actually lead to less boom and bust cycles for the shipping industry, which will be good for analysts, will be good for investors, certainly, and will be good for you know, the world as a whole. Thank you. Now, uh, Randy, I saw you smiling. Uh, was that just a, a grimace, or did you agree with what Amit just said about corporate governance? Because that, that was a very bold statement that I think you made. Fully agree, fully agree. Couldn't say anything uh, to add to that. Good. Everybody else agree? 
I think that uh, why is everybody attacking uh, the, the whole industry about the co corporate governance? Uh, what about other industries? I mean, this is part of life. Every company has a different structure. I think that uh, shipping is the most transparent uh, industry in the world. Every day you can uh, open uh, your Bloomberg terminal and you can see what uh, the Baltic Stock Exchange says is the rate. If you do not uh, think that the company is uh, uh, performing uh, according to, to the market or uh, it's uh, underperforming, you do not have to buy, but you have all the data. You know what is the value of the ship. This doesn't happen in other industries, and I agree with Amit overall with uh, the general thesis, but uh, that there are better companies and worse companies, and there are some management teams that uh, they, are, they have abused a little bit the, uh, the interest of the shareholders. But this happens in every industry. Oh, I, I don't you think know, I disagree with is, uh, I think that's, I, I cover five different industries. I've covered 10 different industries do, in my career. Know in there is not one industry in the world that has the amount of corporate acts, uh, corporate governance abuses of shipping. And to be honest, I'm not in the business of, of advertising my competitors' research, but Mike Weber and Wells Fargo, frankly, have done this industry a service by their scorecard, and I wish I thought of it yeah, first. But the, the, the scorecard, some of us, uh, we agree on half of the companies here. Some of, uh, of the companies, the, the, the order can be different, depends on uh, the criteria. At the end of the day is long term, who is in the market? Who can manage to go through the uh, ebbs and flows of the market successfully and, uh, <laughs> Cost and of capital. Uh, survive? How about uh, in uh, OSVs? Do you ever know what are the rates for OSVs? Do you know in the drilling market, when someone uh, signs a contract that was never uh, disclosed in uh, these sectors, in all these sectors, even in LNG, which is a very transparent, uh, theoretically, and well-governed industry, the companies right now, they are signing 20-year contracts, and we do not know what, what, uh, uh, what are the terms of these contracts. Is this transparency? Is this better than shipping compared to, to shipping that every day you go to the website of every company and you see what is the charter rate, uh, charter with Trafigura, they charter with uh, EDF, you see everything. And I, I, would say that, I would That's say that when they sign a 20-year SPA, we know they're not signing it with their uncle because they'd have to disclose it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't want to, it's, don't really want to talk about it too much, it's going to make me mad, but the, uh, the idea that there's industry data and there's, there's prevalent industry data and that is the same thing as having clarity, clarity around corporate structures and related party transactions is just misdirection. I mean, there's, there's, I don't think shipping is different in the sense that, or fundamentally flawed. If you look at trucking 10 to 15 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago, it was in a very similar state. It's, there's a natural maturation to some of these sectors, but you can't sit here and pretend that, that there's not an issue um, when, you know, you see, you know, deals like we saw two weeks, or this week that, that Ben wrote about, um, where we've seen some of the, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's deserved because no one else really tackled it. Um, you can't pretend like there's not a problem. I do think the space is certainly getting better when you look at the quality of the new entrants. Um, we just need to see a continued evolution. But the fact that we can pull up a day rate on Bloomberg does not tell me that I know that you're not seeing the siphoning off of value from related structures. It just doesn't tell me that. M M Michael, uh, you know that I was probably one of the first analysts that I would talked about uh, corporate governance of certain companies and fees and commissions, sure. but attacking the, the, the entire industry and saying that the industry is problematic. I mean, the industry is extremely transparent and the industry has an advantage that whoever is not good and whoever abuses it, he's gonna get a lower valuation because 
people know, and this is our job here to say who is good, who is bad, and there are very good companies, very well-run uh, companies. And at the end of the day, the companies that Asamit uh, mentioned that they have excessive leverage or they are mismanaging uh, uh, the, uh, the, the capital uh, that they, they have been trusted, they go bankrupt in this sector. And somebody else can come and buy the ship at a much cheaper. Everybody knows what uh, its asset worth, and everybody can make the, this uh, judgment. They don't go bankrupt. What they do is they take the fees from this related party management company and then use those fees to buy shareholders back at their own very discount. And so they don't go bankrupt. They just end up owning all of the equity for nothing. Or they dilute. 18, 90 per, uh, percent, which is effectively the same, no? Look, I, I think it's important to make a distinction between bad actors and bad structures, right? So I, don't, I think that simply because those structures are there does not mean they're being abused, but when you've got companies that have been trading at systemic discounts to NAV for, the, for more than a decade, and you haven't seen any material changes around management, around structure, around, around strategy, and everyone just seems happy with the status quo of trading below what their assets are worth, you have to ask yourself why. Why are we so happy with the status quo, and why would they be happy with the status quo? Um, again, not saying that those structures are necessarily being abused at all, uh, in all instances, but it's just simply a trade that equity investors shouldn't have to make. But they are penalized, no? The investors, they do uh, assign below uh, their NAV value uh, sure. valuation. I think we're in a Darwinian moment here where- You took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna use the word Darwinian, uh, not, to, uh, not to be aggressive about it, but because that's your vision of the, the industry, Fotis, is somewhat like you know what we saw in the 19th century, you know, survival of the fittest. And that's really what we've seen for the last 10 years, isn't it? Uh, ben, what do you think? No, I, I think that's right. And, and I think, as I said earlier, I think it is, and again, in, in large part to some of the work that Mike has done, people care a lot more than they used to. And you, you, there is a distinct cost of capital advantage or disadvantage. And, and that, in this, in this marketplace, uh, that's what separates the winners and the losers. And, and if you can't, you know, uh, if, you have a, if you have a materially, and, and I also to some, ex agree, uh, some extent agree with Fotis, if you have a material disadvantage in terms of your cost of capital, you're not gonna be able to keep up. Uh, right. You're not gonna be able to grow. You're not, it's gonna be more expensive and you're, you're going to be um, you're going to be marginalized, and ideally, in, in, in grown-up industries, those marginalized companies are uh, soaked up or absorbed by the bigger, more well-run companies. Unfortunately, that's still a problem, I think, in this industry. There's too many ship owners and not enough employees at the behest of their shareholders. I agree. And I'll agree, with, I'll agree with what Ben was saying. The investors are much more uh, aware of that. Like in the last two or three weeks, I've gotten a few inbound inquiries. We see what the fleet is, we see what their rates are, we see what their asset values are. What about the corporate governance? What about the management teams? Are they doing you know, insider dealings? Is there in-house chartering or technical management fees or you know, transaction fees? So that's what they want to know about. You know, and that's something hopefully we can provide after five, six, seven, ten years of analysis, I guess. Aside from just uh, obvious normal stuff with respect to related party transactions, look at companies' reported gap earnings relative to their quote-unquote adjusted earnings. And typically, companies that have the widest gap tend to be the companies that are most concerning. Um, 
and I've never yeah. seen a gap wider um, than I have in the shipping industry. And largely those gaps reflect restricted stock awards um, that sometimes go up to 15, 20% of the diluted share count that have been awarded to the senior management of the company. And the equity has done nothing but go down. So uh, also the other thing I'll just add is an equity analyst who publishes research that gets read by basically everybody that is interested in that particular stock or industry, there is a little bit of a shoot the messenger mentality in the industry, which puts us as analysts a little bit, I don't know if you guys have the same feeling, but you know, there, there are some examples of like, you know, companies or, um, you know, companies really, um, attacking the messenger for highlighting some of these related party transactions. And I think that's an important point that needs to stop for the industry because um, equity analysts are migrating more towards highlighting this. They're evaluating it in their valuation metrics and their ratings. And I think that is generally a good thing for the industry and certainly investors are rewarding analysts that do that. And I think that's also an important point. Anybody else want to add to this? Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I think needs to be said is that analysts do a very, perform a very important service. Uh, I don't know when you go home at night whether your kids ask you what you do at the office, Debbie. <laughs> but uh, you know, you do perform a very important service. The biggest service you perform for people like me, who are basically service providers in my company is that you are the people who are at the coal face, as the British say, uh, when in terms of dealing with investors. In other words, we, you know, uh, Bob Bugby a little while ago said that there aren't too many things that keep him awake at night. Well, there is one thing that keeps me awake at night, and that is where will the money come from? And I know we all sit here and we talk about private equity, we talk about a lot of different kinds of investment, but basically, if the shipping industry is to grow, we're going to need a investment coming from a lot of different directions. And frankly, where do the investors go? They go to you. Now, I'd like you to comment on that. I know that's a sort of a, a milk toasty sentiment, but have you ever really looked at your jobs and what you do and how it affects the, 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 the pattern flows that we were just talking about, that you've been talking about, all five of you, in the last few minutes, last half hour, really? In other words, where the money is going to come from, and how what you're doing could influence that and influence it in a positive way. Because when we talk about overtonnaging, when we talk about the mistakes that have been made over the last 10 years, a lot of that was, as was pointed out by you a few minutes ago, uh, caused by the wrong kind of investment in the wrong things at the wrong time and in the wrong amounts. Uh, we, we have a chance to do a sort of a do-over now. It's, it's true that you never really learn lessons, do you, in this business, but it would be nice to think that you can pattern what you do to remind people of what the mistakes were starting in 2007, 2008. And also, by the way, the mistakes we didn't make in this industry. Sorry to make that little speech. So, but I want to provoke you to take this in a slightly different direction. You will let Michael speak. Since I've been speaking a lot, I can start, we can start from that side. If that's okay, okay, why don't we, why don't we go down, Michael, to your, your end. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we're, we're in suits at the Metropolitan Club. We're not jumping out of a Higgins boat, storming a beach, right? So it's not, I don't know, that we deserve that much credit. Um, but uh, I, 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 I don't worry about capital availability that much. Uh, returns will rise to the point that it will attract the capital if needed. You kind of worry about what the, the tenor and the investment horizon is of that capital. But I'm sure, as all these guys would attest, you're just kind of trying to keep up with, with 
you know, with, with inbound calls and whoever's reaching out to you and you just kind of, we, we get a bit of a vantage point in the evolution of the capital sources, but I don't know that we necessarily get to shape them. Um, but in terms of, in terms of, look, I, I think there is certainly less capital available today than in past cycles. I think that is showing up lots of different places. Um, the biggest of which is when you look at these stocks and when you look at trading in any, any of the commoditized shipping names, you know, they're NAV trades and you kind of pick a trough NAV and you pick a mid, you know, a, a mid cycle NAV and generally lop off the portion of the curve between mid cycle and peak. Um, and that's because the, the capital that would have typically come in to take you out of that, um, that kind of mid cycle rate thesis is no longer there. Um, the cycles are getting shorter. Um, the investment windows are getting shorter. Um, and I think that's in part a function of the, the breadth of capital availability. Um, but again, I don't, I don't think that we shape what capital is, is there. It's, we just happen to get a, a view of it as it passes by. I, I would say, I, uh, to some extent I agree, but the, the reality is that of the five of us up here, every one of us has a colleague who is in the capital raising business. So it's not an accident that we're sitting here, which is the, which is the real challenge because people are, our, our clients are counting on us for good investment decisions, but our firms need to also make money. And uh, in balancing, balancing that um, is a challenge, frankly. And I think that, I, I think that we can uh, we can have, and, and historically, the analyst community and their opinions, coupled with what management teams are saying or whatever, can can certainly drive the the groupthink of uh, of the broader investing community. And sometimes that sometimes that's not always right. You know, we're, we're I certainly don't have maybe Randy does, but I certainly don't have a hundred percent track record in terms of getting all my stock picks right. And, and, and I, the, the challenge for me is to be able to sometimes step back and say, is there something else that is, that is shaping my views here and that should, shouldn't be having an impact? Anybody else up front want to comment before I go back to the audience here and ask you for your views? In, in terms of new capital, you know, in the past couple months here, a lot of our energy analysts, the EMP guys, the oilfield services, even the MLPs are kind of forwarding clients to me and, you know, and kind of see the thread and then it says, what about shipping? You know, and they say, Randy, take this one. Um, so you're starting to see some new energy investors kind of enter the market instead of paying, I don't know, a discount of $70 WTI for an EMP company. Uh, they're kind of looking at some of the ancillary energy businesses and shipping, obviously with a higher risk, higher reward and, um, you know, a lot of new entrants to the market just in recent months. Some market cap restrictions, right? So, I mean, uh, there are very few companies that are investable by the largest of institutional investors. Um, I also think, you know, investors' interests, you know, look at shipping differently, you know. Uh, there's a cohort of people that look at it as a portfolio shaping tool, introducing a little bit of beta into their portfolio. And if it goes to zero, it goes to zero. Then there's another larger group of investors that will never touch shipping, no matter what the upside is, because they know the downside is zero. Um, and then obviously, obviously, there's the corporate governance aspects of it too. So I think there's a couple. So I mean, from my standpoint, the secondary investor interest 
has always been few and far between in shipping. Certainly in 2013, it was very, very strong. It dwindled basically to nothing in 2016 and 17, and now we're starting to see it pick up a little bit, uh, which is encouraging, but certainly nowhere near where it needs to be to um, you know, justify a significant amount of resources. There is, there is plenty of capital, I will agree with uh, Mike and uh, Ben. I mean, 2013, when the dry bulk industry was uh, at the trough and uh, many companies were uh, facing bankruptcy, there, were, there was plenty of capital there to save these companies. And uh, because this capital was looking to, to get a 30, 40, 50, or 100% return. Sure. Today, yes, there is no capital because, as, as we see, uh, most of the dry bulk companies and tanker companies, they trade below NAV. It's like telling uh, the market this capital don't buy more ships, don't invest in uh, new buildings. I'm not valuing you to the uh, levels that the private market is uh, valuing you. The moment that uh, the market starts believing that returns are gonna be better, or at the, uh, the moment that you come up, uh, Clay, with a few ships that they have five-year uh, contracts that they make double-digit returns, I'm sure that there's gonna be plenty of capital and all our colleagues on the capital market side <laughs> right. would want to finance it. Just to just to add, because it's, it's been kind of a negative tone, I guess, around this, but there is still plenty of institutional capital that looks at shipping, right? People, you can get an institutional bid into Kirby, into Golar, into Gaslog, into, you know, Chenier. I know a couple of us cover that. Um, it's really the traditional bulk names that are smaller in cap and have more checkered histories where it's much, much tougher to get a robust and sustained institutional bid. But, you know, I cover 35 names, at least half of them I've got ongoing institutional dialogue for the last 10 years. Um, you know, the other, the other thing I would touch on is, I think Randy mentioned new, new energy investors. Um, I think that's actually kind of emblematic of what we're seeing in terms of kind of the lack of new money coming in at the moment where, you know, most energy investors I talk to are pretty frustrated right now. You've got all the dedicated guys that play the, that got the fundamental call right. Brent went to 60 bucks, fundamentals are working, and all the stocks are kind of breaking at mid-cycle, which is the exact same thing we saw happen in shipping last year and the year before. Um, so to that point, you know, you, you, there is capital availability. Um, the issues that shipping faces in terms of not attracting a bid in the top half of the cycle is not something that's, you know, not an issue for shipping on its own. It's an issue across the board. Um, it actually makes me a little bit worried about the tanker trade everyone's talking about, too, the fact that and if you can't get a bid into a services or, a, or an EMP name or a major with Brent at 60 and a pretty constructive forward curve, um, to me that tells me that we're going to start to get a bit more cautious around global growth. Or at least the market is not giving anybody the benefit of the doubt uh, anymore when it comes to, to expectations for 18 and 19. So, um. Just one, uh, to add one more thing on uh, this energy investors' hedge funds and why there is a little bit, uh, it's much more challenging to find uh, easy capital like it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Shipping is uh, predominantly bought by energy hedge funds, as Amit said. 90% of the investors are uh, energy or energy educated related uh, hedge funds. Energy, it used to be in 2014, 11% of uh, the Russell 3000. Today is less than 2%. So when these energy hedge funds, they have lost all their money and uh, all the money is going to, to generalists or uh, to tech uh, investors, there's no capital to, to invest in uh, shipping. That's why the cost of capital has uh, uh, gone up. 
And the other uh, difficulty that uh, the capital markets and the equity investors are facing is, or even the debt investors in uh, the US capital markets, is that there's plenty of very cheap capital uh, from China, from uh, Japan. There's no uh, uh, sane uh, US investor that is gonna go and give a loan at four and a half percent, like a Japanese uh, or a Chinese leasing fund. And that's the difficulty in deploying capital at these uh, competitive levels. In the back, is there a question? I see a question in the front. Uh, we don't, you, you don't have a microphone, but I'm, it, it, we might be able to fix that. So at least I can hear you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you all touched on corporate governance. There was a deal done uh, in late February, the Aegean deal. Can we go through all the panelists? The Aegean? Can we go through all the panelists? Can you rate it from one to five from a corporate Did governance you perspective? Aegean? One, being, one being bad and five being good? Yeah. <laughs> Negative 150,000. Uh, anybody else want to comment on Aegean? don't cover the company, so I can... Yeah, I never heard of it. I've, re I've written pretty extensively on it. I think, in general, that was a, a, a poor deal in many respects. I don't cover it uh, either, but uh, I tend to... Without knowing all the details of it, um, you know, the, the arguments that I've seen written seem pretty compelling. It's a Marshall Islands company, by the way, so I will not comment on it. <laughs> Not an investor in it, I'll tell you that. Anything else? Anybody else? Going once? Cocktails are outside. Mr. Bornozis, would you be willing to make a few concluding remarks? I want to thank our panelists for being yeah. very thoughtful. I have uh, a different views on a number of topics. Very but impressive bunch of guys. Yeah. Thank you very much. For yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well